If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 2 with me this morning. Genesis chapter 2. If you are a guest with us here this morning, you should know uh, that we just started a lengthy sermon series in the book of Genesis. Uh, that we're very excited about this as a church family. Uh, Genesis, if you are less familiar with your Bibles, is, is the very first book of our Bibles, uh, and it is used to lay a very strong foundation of God's design for this world and his heart for his people. Now, we've already been blessed as a church family as we have studied Genesis chapter 1 together, and now uh, we're going to continue by looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. What does God want from you? What, what is his calling on your life? If you are a Christian here this morning, I wonder how you would answer that question. If, if you are not a Christian here this morning, I wonder how you think that most Christians would answer that question. What does it mean to be a Christian? If, if you could summarize what God wants for his people, what it, what it means to be a part of the Christian church, what would you say? Would you say that God wants us to be obedient to him? Would you say that God wants us to worship him with our lives? Would you say that God wants us to, to work hard to bring him glory? Would you say that God wants us to turn from sin and to not look like the world around us? Would you say that God wants us to be diligent in all areas of life all the time? What would you say? Honestly, I think... Most of us in this room would respond in one of the ways that I just listed. Those are all part of what it means to be a Christian. Each of them are certainly a part of God's design for our lives. But none of those things capture God's heart for you most fully. All of those things are a means through which we get close to God's heart for us, but they are not God's heart for us. What we continue to see in these very first chapters of our Bibles is that God's design of this world puts a very different priority and a very different focus on this world and on our lives than we might think. See, we tend to think that God is disappointed with us or that God is frustrated with us, that he's just kind of enduring us until we kind of get our act together. That he just wants us to work harder all the time and to, to just do better. But what we are seeing here in these first few chapters of the Bible is very different. These foundational chapters are painting a picture of God's heart that is very different than what you and I tend to think. Again, we tend to think that God is disappointed in us and that he just wants more work out of us. But that's not what we see here. No, what we see here is that God is a God of rest. And that his desire is that we would rest as well. That, that's it. That's God's design for our lives. Now, folks, how many of us would describe Christianity in that way? 
If, if someone came up to us on campus or if a coworker or a neighbor came up to us and said, hey, I know that you're a Christian. I see something different about your life. Can you tell me what it means to be a Christian? How many of us would answer that to be a Christian means that you are to find and enjoy deep and lasting rest in all of life? How many of us would answer in that way? I think too few of us would. But friends, what we're going to see this morning is that this is indeed God's central heart for us. The the biblical idea of rest captures the the fullness of what God wants us to experience, the the fullness of his presence, the, the fullness of his peace, the fullness of life as it is supposed to be. Many people say that godly rest is almost synonymous with our salvation. This is godly rest, and an evidence for this idea of of rest being so central to God's heart. Listen, it's not just seen in these three verses in Genesis chapter 2, but it is seen throughout all of Scripture, even to the point when we see the culmination of rest in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's our main idea for the message this morning. Friends, God wants you to rest. God wants wants you to rest. That's it. That's his clearest desire for your life. He wants you to find rest. And we are now going to seek to prove that this is his heart for us by considering four points together. Point number one, the picture of rest. Point number two, the pattern of rest. Point number three, the person of rest. And then point number four, the pursuit of rest. We're going to use these four points to help us to understand God's heart for his people. Let's look at the first. Point number one, the picture of rest. Look at verse two with me. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, now folks, many of us here are familiar with these first chapters of Genesis, and so we know very well that after six days of creation, God rested on the seventh day. This, this part of the story is very familiar to us. It's, it's not a surprise. But folks, think about reading this for the first time. Think about reading this without any prior knowledge of the Bible. If someone was to read this for the first time without any prior knowledge, I think that this moment of God resting would stand out to them as more shocking than it does to us. Right? I mean, after reading chapter 1, this should stand out to us. Chapter 1 does not paint a picture of a God that needs to rest. He just spoke the galaxies into existence with a word. He didn't even lift a finger. He did it all with such ease. There was no trouble in it. But now he needs to rest? Does verse 2 mean that this God that we see in chapter 1 might not be as strong as we thought that he is? Or or does he have weaknesses to be revealed? Or does God get, get tired Well, friends, this picture of God resting is supposed to stand out to us in this way. It is included here by God at this point in the story for a very intentional purpose. See, we we tend to think of rest only coming after a very lengthy and and hard period of of time and and labor, and only after we we absolutely need rest. Rest for us is a, a needed way to recover, But what we see here is that rest for God is not the same as rest for us. Rest for God is is a state of being, not a necessary practice. 
This word rest in the Hebrew actually just means to, to sit down, even to sit down on a throne after a job has been completed. And so this word rest speaks to God intentionally ending and intentionally highlighting the conclusion of the creation project and then choosing to sit down and rule over his creation. It's almost like this this world was created by God as a palace, and now he sits on his throne and takes pleasure over the created work that he has done and that is now completed. And friends, notice how there is not a reference to the evening and the morning on this seventh day like there are for the other days in creation. This indicating that this day of rest, this day of pleasure, this day of holy rule even continues to today. It does not end. God is still sitting on his throne perfectly at rest, looking with favor over his creation. But it's not that God has gotten tired and needed a break. No, Isaiah chapter 40 says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't get tired, folks. He doesn't need a nap. But then why do we see it here in verse 2? Here's why. Because God himself is a perfect picture of rest. These verses are here, not because God needed rest, but because he is rest. The, The creation of this universe did not tire him in some way. They didn't drain him of energy. No, they flowed freely out of who he was, and he didn't need to recharge after the work was done. God taking time to rest in this moment speaks less of his need and more of his abundance. Even as he continues to to sustain the world, even now by the word of his power, he is perfectly at peace, perfectly at rest in his kingly rule. Friends, think about what this means for his heart for you and for this world. Isn't this a picture of God... Isn't this picture of God resting at the very beginning of the story so different than how so many of us in this world would have written this story? Friends, how many of us have have worked for a boss who is a workaholic and who, who always is the first one in in the morning and the last one to leave at night and who sends emails at all times of day and expects a prompt response? How many of us have worked for a boss that is always dropping those comments about how hard they are working? So so often bosses and managers work that way because they are subtly trying to communicate that there is always more work to be done and they want their employees to work just as hard as them. And folks, when we have a boss like that, when we have a boss who does not rest, then the culture of the company quickly becomes one that focuses very much on, on how much we can do. Everyone becomes anxious. Are we doing enough? Are we producing enough? Are we working hard enough? But that's not what we see with God. No, he rests. He rests at the very beginning of the story. He steps back and he sits down. Why? Because he wants to flavor the story of this world from the very first chapters, not with toil, not with endless labor, not with painful work, but with holy rest, with a joyful celebration of who he is and what he has done. It's amazing. And so listen, Tired Christian. Listen, condemned Christian. Listen, Christian who always feels like they are not doing enough for Jesus. 
Listen, Christian, who has been in ministry for a long time without any refreshment for your soul, listen. If God wanted us always to be doing more, if the focus was on what we did, do you think that he would start chapter two of this story by showing how the boss, the main character of the story, chose to rest? No, I don't, I don't think so. But this is what he did. Why? Because he is the perfect picture of rest and because he wants the story that he is writing to be about his people finding and enjoying that same kind of rest in him. This is the picture of rest. And that brings us to point number two, the pattern of rest. The, the pattern of rest. Now, do we get this whole idea of God's rest being central to his heart for us only from these three verses in Genesis chapter two, or do we see it elsewhere in scripture? Well, yes, we see God's heart for this here, but no, it is not limited to these verses. We see God's heart for us to rest all throughout scripture. And so let's consider together the pattern and the theme of rest throughout the Bible. First of all, we see this pattern being laid down right here in chapter 2, verse 3, when it says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Those two words, blessed and holy, are very important words. We haven't seen God bless any other day of creation up until this point. The only other thing that he has blessed up until this point are the people who he made in his own image up in chapter 1, verse 28. And so this blessing is very significant. And when it says that he made it holy, it means that he set this day apart for a special purpose. He, he hallowed it for a specific reason. Clearly, in these verses, God is wanting us to see that his rest has significance for us in this world. It's, it's part of God's central design for humanity. And chapter 2, verse 3 is really just the, the start of a pattern and a theme that we begin to see throughout all of the rest of Scripture. Now, we know that the perfect rest that God had created in the Garden of Eden did not last. We know that in just a few short chapters from where we are this morning, we are going to read about sin entering into this world and ruining the perfect peace and rest that God had designed for humanity. Adam and Eve in chapter 3 are cast out of the Garden of Eden. They are expelled. The Garden of Rest and Peace is lost to humanity. But friends, the picture of rest is not forgotten. God will not allow it to be forgotten. Folks, have you, have you ever seen a good movie that, that when you come to the end of the movie, you realize that the clues about the ending were hidden everywhere throughout the rest of the story? You just didn't see them right away. Have you watched movies like that? Folks, that is exactly what we have here in Scripture. Once we realize how central God's heart of rest is for his people, once we see it at the very beginning of the story and even at the culmination at the end of the story, we begin to see the clues of it everywhere throughout the whole book. And so second of all, we see the pattern of rest in that God promises rest. So when God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, which we're going to study sometime in 2021, when, when God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he describes a place and a position of blessing for Abraham and his family that is very reminiscent of the Garden of Eden and the blessing that God had given to Adam and Eve. And then later, when, when 
Joshua takes over from Moses and leads Israel into the promised land. God says to Joshua, he says, Joshua, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. The goal was to find rest, and God had promised that they would. Second of all, we see the pattern in that the opposite of bondage in Scripture is, is described as rest. And so as we continue through the Bible, as we continue through Genesis and into the book of Exodus, when we hear Moses talking to King Pharaoh about releasing God's people from slavery, Pharaoh says this. He says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work and you make them rest from their burdens? And so biblically speaking, the, the opposite of slavery, the opposite of bondage, and we see it in more places than just here, the opposite of bondage, both physical and spiritual bondage, is seen as rest. And then fourth, we see the pattern of rest in both the tabernacle and the temple. And so when Moses builds the tabernacle, and then later on Solomon builds the more permanent temple, which are both the places that God's presence was to reside, there are clear signs in both the tabernacle and the temple of God's heart for rest. The construction of the tabernacle was structured around a series of seven creative acts, similar to the seven days of creation. The construction of the temple took seven years, a reference to the seven days of creation. Folks, side note, if you want to see God's heart for rest, do a biblical study of the number seven, which is a reflection of this day in creation. You'll see it everywhere throughout the Bible. But, but the, the tabernacle and the temple were clearly designed by God as, as symbols of the original creation and as a reminder of the time when, when God resided with his people in perfect rest. Throughout the tabernacle, there are, are precious stones that we read about being placed in the tabernacle, and they were known to reflect light in a way that reminded people of the sun and the moon and the stars, reminding them of the cosmos created by God. On the curtains within the tabernacle and temple, there, there are images of flowers and, and trees and fruit trees being sewn into the fabric. Right outside the Holy of Holies is the lampstand, which was designed as a tree, many people think designed after the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Folks, listen, when God instructed his people to design the tabernacle and the temple in these ways, he wasn't just trying to make it a pretty place. He wasn't just a good interior designer. No, all of this garden imagery is a reminder to everyone who saw the tabernacle and the temple that where God's presence resides, there is rest for his people. And the hope that that rest would someday be restored. And so next time you're reading through the Bible and you get to those seemingly really boring parts of, of Exodus and Leviticus and, and you read all those details, don't skip over them. Those are promises from God for your, your future. And then both the tabernacle and the temple are also seen as places where God's presence would rest. In fact, when the Israelites were, were walking towards the temple, they would often sing songs of praise to God. And, and Psalm 132 is one of these songs of praise, songs of ascent. And here's what it says. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. He says, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Church, God wants to rest 
with his people. Fifth, the pattern of rest is seen in that rest is an act of obedience and even confession and contrition to God. So, so once God establishes the law through Moses, the, the sign of the covenant that he made with Israel was for them, for his people, to faithfully keep the Sabbath day. They were to rest once a week, to not work, to not do any labor. They were to pattern their lives after the God who rests. Resting became for the people of Israel a sign of their solidarity with Yahweh. Earlier this week, I was reading in my devotions the book of Nehemiah, and I I saw how how once Nehemiah brought the Israelites back from exile, once they were finally in Jerusalem again, the first thing that they talk about doing is to honor the command from God to rest, to honor the Sabbath. And then, church, we see it in Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets as well as they regularly call the people of God back to honoring the the pattern of Sabbath rest. Why? Because rest is to understand God's heart for you, and it is to trust him more fully. Folks, rest is everywhere in our Bibles. It is a pattern and a constant theme from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Listen to this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He says, The seventh day stands apart in solitary grandeur as the crown to the six days of creation. This indicates not only immense literary craft, but deep theological significance. From the beginning of creation, the seventh day was central, not only to creation, but to the ultimate destiny of God's people. Church, God wants us to rest. He has promised rest. He has given us reminders of that rest in his word, and he is working to bring it about in our lives. Which brings us now to our third point, point number three, the person of rest. Do you all know who Sean Spencer is? And no, I'm not saying that Sean is the person of rest for us this morning. But do you know who he is? Good old Sean and Gus from the TV show Psych. I I recently watched an episode of Psych where, where Gus finds Sean stuck on an elliptical machine working out really, really hard. And I say stuck because... On the elliptical machine was a note that said that if Sean's heart rate dropped below 150 beats per minute, there was a bomb that was going to explode and kill him. And so so Sean was there sprinting as hard as he could, sweat pouring down, unable to rest, unable to stop because he was afraid that he was going to get blown up, only to find out that Juliet had put that note there as a way to motivate him in his workout. But, But there was no bomb there at all. But listen... I feel like that is how we can be as Christians many times. We have this view of God towards us that if we don't sprint endlessly in every area of life, if we don't almost burn ourselves out, that God is going to blow us up. And friends, the result of that within the church is that the church becomes filled with people who are always tired Tired and discouraged, tired and grumpy, tired on the verge of of burning out, tired and condemned. But friends, what we're seeing today is that this is not God's heart for us. This is not God's heart for us in the Old Testament like we just saw, and this is certainly not God's heart for us in the New Testament. So so yes, perfect rest has been lost. Yes, part of the, the curse against our sin is that we would labor and toil in this world in a seemingly endless way. 
Listen, even as the Old Testament comes to a close, it's very clear rest is far from the people of God. Jerusalem and the temple are far from what they once were. They're not in a good place. Sin seems to have ruined everything. But then we turn the page. But then we turn the page and we realize that the story is not over. Jesus enters into the story. Listen, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the one who was there at creation and who sat down on his throne and rested on the seventh day of creation, this Jesus now stands up again. He stands up because he has a new work of creation to do, a work of redemption to accomplish. He now stands up and enters into the world that he had made. And friends, what is his goal as he enters this world? What is his mission here on earth? His goal is to restore his reign of rest to our hearts, to our lives, and to this world. His, his goal is to put an end to endless toil and labor. His mission is to become our rest again. Listen, this is what Jesus himself said, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come, come to me, all, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, say it with me, rest for your souls. This is Jesus. This is why he came. He came to give you rest. And how does he give you rest? Jesus gives you rest by working on your behalf, by living the obedient life that Adam and Eve and you and I could not live. He gives us rest by being perfectly righteous in the way that we could not, and then by dying an unjust death that we deserved. Listen, you and I, as hard as we try, we cannot find rest for our souls as long as sin is on our record. Sin breaks God's rule in our life. It breaks relationship with him. Sin steals our rest from him. But Jesus took the penalty of our sin for us, and he was crushed under the weight of God's wrath against our sin. He hung on that bloody cross till there was no more air in his lungs to breathe. He died. Why? To give you rest. And guess what, church? He accomplished his mission. God's word says that he, he rose from the dead, that the curse of sin could not keep him in that grave. He, he rose from the dead. He, his heart started beating again. And scripture says that he is now the first fruit, the first fruit of the new creation order. That's Jesus. And do you know what Hebrews chapter 10 says? Hebrews chapter 10 says that after he rose from the dead, he ascended back to the Father. And then it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father again. He sat down. Friends, he rested from his work. Why? Because the work of redemption was complete. Mission accomplished. Church, God wants us to rest, and so he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him 
Whoever is weary and tired here this morning, whoever is lost and without hope, whoever feels like they have been on the elliptical machine of life and are about to fall over and die, they can come and find peace and hope. They can find rest for their souls. The leper on the side of the road begging for money day after day, year after year, Jesus speaks to him, heals him of his disease, and gives him rest. The woman with the flow of blood who had spent years of time and energy and money going to doctors trying to find out what was wrong with her body, Jesus speaks and makes her well and gives her rest from her troubles. The demoniac who was tormented day and night by his own sin and by evil spirits, healed by Jesus, and then rests peacefully. Jesus loves to give rest. Friends, listen, when we, when we see the pattern of rest throughout our Bibles, we should not go first to the practical expressions of that rest. We should not first ask, okay, well, do I have a day off in my life? That's important. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But that's not the most important thing. No, first we should ask, is my soul at rest in Jesus? Am I resting in him? Am I trusting him? Am I laying my burdens down at his feet and letting him carry them for me? Or am I always working, always trying to improve my standing before him, always trying to earn his favor? Friend, if you are not a Christian here this morning, if you have never given your life to King Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, and if you are tired, if you're worn down, if you think about life and you're just like, man, I don't know if I can keep going, if you want rest, this is what Christianity is all about. This is what we have in Christ. Christians rest in Jesus. Christians find perfect peace even in the midst of life's storms. They find peace in Jesus. Life doesn't become easy, but they have a place to rest in Jesus. In church, for those of us who are Christians this morning, let's not forget where to find our rest. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus saves us and keeps us out of hell, but that then the rest of our lives is up to us to figure out. No, those who come to Jesus find rest in all of life. Now, do they still work? Do they still labor? Yes, of course we do. But the theme of our lives, the pattern of our souls for every Christian is to find our rest in him, to rest in him every day until we fully rest in him for eternity. And that brings us to our fourth and to our final point this morning. Point number four, the pursuit of rest. The question can be asked, if we, if we have perfect rest in Jesus, how come we don't feel more rested? How come we're so tired? If he is our rest, how come we are still worn down? How come we're so anxious and worried and discouraged and condemned as Christians? We always greet each other every Sunday morning and say, how are you doing? And how often is our response? Well, it's busy. I'm tired. I'm worn down. It was a crazy week. I don't know if I can keep going. We, we all do it. But church, let me ask us a question. If we could be given a very simple, very practical guideline for our lives and for our families' lives that would promise to encourage and strengthen us and to give us a greater experience of rest, wouldn't we want that? And wouldn't we seek to apply that? Church, that's exactly what we have in God's Word. God's Word, first of all, guides us towards physical rest. Many people argue about whether the Sabbath day is necessary in the New Covenant or not. Some people say that 
like the other Old Testament practices, that, that we don't need to follow God's direction to take a day of rest each week in our lives because Jesus fulfilled the law and it no longer stands over us. But that's not what we see in Scripture necessarily. Sabbath may not be the sign of the new covenant like it was in the old, but it still has essential worth for our lives. The, the call to Sabbath rest is foundational to God's good design for us in this world. That's why we see it in Genesis chapter 2 before sin enters into this world. It's not just by necessity. It's a gift to us to be enjoyed. The value of it remains even in the new covenant. And so Redeemer Fellowship, rest is a gift to be pursued. Put it in this way, rest is even a spiritual discipline to be practiced. It's something like, like scripture reading and prayer and fellowship and worship that we should seek to grow in over time more and more. And so listen, I do believe that God's word this morning leads us to ask the sort of question, are we practicing healthy patterns of rest in our lives? Are we pursuing rest? Are we demonstrating to the world around us what it is to trust in Jesus and to not live frantic lives in our own strength? Are we acknowledging by taking a day off and setting things aside, are we acknowledging our, our creatureliness, our, our, our need for God? Are we following the healthy pattern of rest that he has set for us? And church, listen, I have, to, I have to confess, I have not been faithful in this. In fact, God has recently been graciously convicting me of really a, a severe failure in this. There have been some significant tears shed in, in times before the Lord as I have realized that I have not trusted him enough to rest as I should. It's hard in this culture to rest, but God's people can be different. Think about how distinct from the world we become when we follow God in this. The, the world which, which, which panics and, and works endlessly in order to, to provide for themselves. The church stands apart and says, we don't need to work seven days a week. We can rest because we have a God who provides for us. And so scripture leads us to find physical ways to rest. But friends, listen, God's word also guides us towards spiritual rest. What we do with our times of rest matters. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with Netflix. On a good night off, Ashley and I can binge watch some serious Netflix. We're really good at that. There's nothing wrong with taking a nap. There's nothing wrong with eating good food or scrolling through social media for some downtime. All of those things can be very refreshing in the, their own way. But if they are the primary way that we seek to find and enjoy rest, we will find ourselves again and again, day off after day off, finding that these things do not deliver the, the rest that we need. But Jesus said, come to me. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the fountain of living water. He told the Samaritan woman that anyone that drinks of the water that he offers will never thirst again. They will find rest for their souls. Church, God wants us to rest. And if we're going to find true rest for our souls, we need to use our times of rest to come closer to Jesus. We, we need to eat from the bread of life. We need to nourish our souls with the truth of his grace and goodness. And so, church, how do we do this? Well, we read his word in order to know that Jesus is rest for our souls. We pray in order to remind ourselves that Jesus is rest for our weary souls. We fellowship with others in order to remind each other that Jesus is rest for our souls. 
We take a Sabbath rest from technology. We turn off our phones and we take a walk in God's beautiful creation to remind ourselves of how he designed this world to be a place of rest for our weary souls. We remove things from our schedule and from our family's schedule in order to to not be chaotic and to have intentional times to disciple our kids to understand that we are to rest in Jesus. We go to church. We attend faithfully. This is one of the reasons why the Sabbath is historically centered around the the Lord's Day. The the weekly assembly of God's people is essential to us finding rest for our weary souls. Did you know that statistics these days suggest that most Christians in America believe that if they only go to church once or twice a month at the most, that that is sufficient for their souls? Church, it's not. Scripture says something very differently. It says that the weekly rhythm of coming in and worshiping him and fellowshipping with others and sitting under the preached word of God together is exactly what our souls need. And so you say, Joel, are you really going to end a message on rest by talking about things that we need to do? Well, friends, Hebrews chapter 4, which paints a glorious picture of the rest that is only possible through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 says that as Christians, we are called to strive to enter that rest. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to earn God's favor, that we need to strive in order for him to forgive us. It means that once God has saved us from our sins, forgiven us for all that we've done, there are now ways that we can remain in that place of rest until the final day when we experience his perfect rest for all eternity. And so church family, we strive. And so Redeemer Fellowship, as we enter year three together, may we strive to enter that rest. May we not labor in our own strength. No, may we set our eyes on Jesus who has taken our burdens and carried our sorrows and thrown them away and has offered us the rest that only he can give. And may we strive in all these practical ways to find our souls at peace in him. May we never forget that our God is not a a, a master who drives us endlessly to do more work, but he is a loving savior who has done the work on our behalf and may we find our souls at rest in him.